Let's go to God's Word this morning, um, back to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8 this morning. We're going to be in chapter 8 this morning, and I, won't, I, I said I was going to finish up, but I'm not sure I'm going to finish up because there's so much that I'm, as I'm looking at this book, to unearth, and don't worry, I know Easter's around the corner, you're going to get your resurrection message on that day, okay? We'll be done by then. I think that's five weeks away, but you'll, we'll get there by then. But the reason why we, and I know some people are, they say, you know, I don't, I had one man one time ask me, say, why do so many preachers preach in the Old Testament all the time? And I didn't know they did, but all scripture is inspired by God, amen, and it's profitable for our teaching our instruction. And the Apostle Paul would say in Romans 15 and 4 that whatever was written in earlier times, and again, when he writes this, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures was written for our instruction so that we may, through perseverance and encouragement of scripture, have hope. And so we're going to continue in Nehemiah this morning. We're going to be in chapter 8, and I've entitled this series, Building, Battling, and Becoming. And so the walls have been rebuilt, the gates have been reset, Nehemiah has appointed faithful leaders who had feared God more than most, he establishes watchmen around the walls and around the gates, and last week he got a record of the people that were there in the city. But even though all this was done, it still was not over, because the most challenging building project was not the walls, it was the people. Notice that. The most challenging building project in this, because the walls were finished in 52 days, it was the people of God. That was who God was still working on. That's what we only said. We're building, we're battling, we are becoming, okay? And so this morning, we're going to pick up in chapter 8 this morning, and he says, in, let's read verse 1, and then we'll go over our outline as we go through this. In chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says this, and all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. And so the first thing we see from chapter 8, verse 1 is that the people of God, they gathered collectively. Okay? They gathered collectively. Do you realize that, and church statisticians will tell you this, that nowadays the average church attender will attend an average of one time a month. One time a month is what the average church in general wide will gather per month. Now, here we see in verse 1 here that everyone, the Bible says, look at, go back to verse 1 there again. Notice, all the people gathered. All the people gathered. And so every one of the people gathered. It is estimated that there was 50,000 people that gathered here in chapter 8, verse 1. And the thing is this, what we got to realize is this, is that there is a difference in individual worship and corporate worship, okay? There's a difference in it. And there's a saying that goes around that sounds kind of good, 
But I would ask you this, is it really biblical? And that saying is this, I don't have to go to church, I'll just be the church. Now, some people may say that sounds deep, that sounds theological, that sounds biblical, but if you're going to define, if, if you're going to use a, 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 a biblical word, you've got to let the Bible define what that word means. And when we see the word church in the New Testament, it's the Greek word ekklesia, and that word means an assembly. It means a congregation. It means a people. It means a group. Okay? So, if you have to have a group to be the church, that means you can't really be the church. I know you're a part of the church, but you can't be the church on your own. Now, the moment you start getting the group discount at Six Flags with just one person, or Disney with one person... We might consider you a church. But call them up and say, I would like the group discount. And they'll say, how many do you have? And just say, one. And they'll say, you do not qualify because you're not a group. And so you've got to understand here that, listen, the, all the people here, they gathered collectively, and it's been proven scientifically that going to church and gathering as God's people, it does wonders for people's health. They've said, scientists have said this, you have less illness, less depression, your marriage has a better chance of surviving, you have lower blood pressure. When you gather together as God's people, and we see here in chapter 8, verse 1, that they all gathered. There wasn't any that were missing. They all gathered. There's a reason why Hebrews 10, 25, one of the most pastor's favorite scriptures says this, that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you realize in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says this about Jesus? It says in Luke 4, 16, I may not have given you this, but I want to read this. It says in Jesus, Luke 4, 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, his habit, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now let me ask you this. If Jesus had a habit of going to the synagogue as the Son of God, what should be our habit? I mean, this is the sinless Son of God. And he says, it's my custom, it's my habit to be in the synagogue every Sabbath. And if he thought it was important to be in the synagogue every Sabbath, why shouldn't we also consider it important to gather together as God's people? See, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, where we talked about not forsaking the siblings of ourselves together, if you go back to verse 22 to 24, look what he says here. He says, let us draw near. 
Not let you draw near, but us as a group, let us all draw near. He says in verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. Verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now listen, I understand that going to church doesn't prove you're saved. And it doesn't make you saved. But I believe if you're saved, you ought to gather with God's people. You ought to gather with God's people if you're saved. It should be something that you want to do. Uh, listen, your family, think about this. Around Thanksgiving and Christmas, you love to gather together, right? When somebody's missing, it's not the same as it is when everybody shows up. And so we see here in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1, they gathered collectively they also gathered for one purpose. They didn't gather because they liked Ezra necessarily. They didn't gather because they liked the style of music that was being played. They didn't gather because that place had a lot of activities. They gathered together to meet with God and hear His Word. And so we see, first and foremost, they gathered collectively. Now let's continue on, verse 2 and 3. It says, Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate. Listen, from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So not only did they gather collectively, they also listened attentively. You understand that? They listened attentively as Ezra read from the book of the law. Now what is the book of the law he's talking about there? It's the Pentateuch, Pentateuch, however you, however you want to say it, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so Ezra read from these books and everyone who could understand it needed to hear it. Everyone who could understand it needed to hear that. And let me say this, we need to hear the word of God more than ever before. Your children need to hear the word of God more than ever before. We, unfortunately, have become bored with the Bible. We have our devotional books, etc. Now, there's nothing wrong with that in their proper place. But we need to first and foremost hear the word of the Lord. I was talking to somebody this, a couple weeks ago on the phone. And they asked me, they said, have you read the book of Enoch? Now, please don't start thumbing through your Bible trying to find that book, okay? Because you'll tell on yourself, okay? <laughs> and I said, I have not. I said, there are 66 other books I haven't mastered yet before I get to the book of Enoch, okay? And what I'm saying is, we want to be masters of all these other things, and yet we are 
basically scripturally illiterate of God's Word. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong to read other things, but nothing should take the place of God's Word in your life. It needs to saturate our minds so it can penetrate our hearts so that our lives will be transformed. Look what the psalmist says about God's Word in Psalms 19 and 7 and 8. He says this, The law of the Lord is perfect. It restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes the wise simple. Continue on. He says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. James would say it like this about God's Word in James 1 and 19. He says that every one of us must be quick to hear. In other words, swift to hear, ready to hear, prompt to hear when you gather together as a body. Quick to hear. Quick to pay attention. See, because husbands, we know just because we're hearing doesn't really mean we're listening. Right? A lot of times, your wife may be talking to you, but all you're hearing is Charlie Brown's teacher. Now, you young folks don't know what I'm talking about, but trust me on that. You're just hearing wah, 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 wah. And then they say, hey, what did I just ask you? And that's when you're in trouble. Right? But James says that we should all be quick, ready to listen to God's word when it is being preached or when you are reading it. And you know when you're quick to listen, have you ever been at a hospital and a loved one is having a serious surgery and you're waiting in the waiting room all of a sudden, that nurse at the front desk says, or receptionist says, surgery's over, the doctor will be with you, he wants to meet you in this conference room. Now listen, every time I've been in there with family, I've never seen people on their phones texting. I've never seen them watching videos. Everybody in that room is on the edge of their seat, and they're sitting and they're listening because they want to know what the diagnosis, what the prognosis is. Why? Because what they consider, the doctor's about to tell them, they consider this is very important. I need to grasp what is being said. And let me say this, when you gather together as God's people and, and someone, anyone is preaching, it needs to be the same Ask our, our same approach that we have and realize that what is being said, it is important. Because listen, if you remain ignorant of God's word, you will be impotent in your spiritual walk. See, James 1.25 says, But the one who looks intently, that's carefully at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having a... Become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what 
he does. How do we become blessed? It is by looking intently into the law, the word of God. And when you look intently and you do what it says, he said you will be blessed in what you do. Going back to the psalmist, Psalms 119. That great long chapter, the longest chapter in the Bible talks about the importance of God's word. Let me just pick out some scriptures there, talking about how important it is. Psalms 119 and 9 says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? How? By keeping it according to your word. Verse 11, the psalmist says this, same chapter. Your word have I treasured, have I kept. I didn't, re- I, I didn't just treat it contently or contemptly. I treasured it. I kept it in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 18, same chapter. He says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Verse 98 says, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies for they are ever mine. Verse 105, same chapter. Your word is a lamp to my feet and it is a light to my path. In this dark world we live in that's full of confusion, that's full of lies, we need a lamp and we need a light to guide us in this day we're living in and you find it in God's word. See, Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 13 parable of the different souls and we know that the first soul he mentions there is the what he would call the roadside or the wayside soul and Jesus explains this I'm not going to read all these scriptures but you can you can read it later on he explains these different types of soul and what they mean and he says the wayside here the roadside here are those people who are hard-hearted and indifferent toward the Word of God. In other words, they've been in church all their life, but there's no change, there's no fruit of repentance. In verse 19 of Matthew 13, he says, When anyone hears the Word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away, which has been sown in his heart, This is the one whom the seed was sown beside the road. Again, the issue is not the sower. It's not the seed. The issue is the heart is too hard. It's too indifferent toward the word of God. So you can sit in church week after week And if your heart is hard, if it's indifferent, if all you're hearing is blah, 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 it's not the preacher's fault. It's not the word's fault. We need to look at the man in the mirror and ask ourselves, is my heart hard toward the word of God? Then he says there's the rocky soul here, verse 20. He says, the one whom the seed was sown, knows the seed is the word of God. On the rocky places, this man hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. These people have an emotional response to the word of God. They may hear something like this. They may hear about a mansion in heaven and go like, hey, I want that. You know, it's, <laughs> I was talking to somebody uh, this 
in the last couple of weeks. And they were telling me, they said, listen, they said, I heard every word you said, at, and I agree with it all. And then they said, and you said, blah, 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 blah. And I said, oh, my goodness. I said, I, said, I don't think I said that, or you took it the wrong way. See, because a lot of times we take things maybe out of context, and we don't rightly divide the word of truth. In other words, what this person was saying was, well, if the one over authority wants me to do this, I should do this because you said we should submit to authority. Well, I said, no, 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 no. I said, you submit to authority in the Lord. I said, if they don't, if they tell you to do something that is contrary to Scripture, you don't submit to that authority because our ultimate authority is God and His Word. Okay? And so these people, they receive the Word with joy. They say, I want that. I like that. Maybe Jesus is going to put my marriage back together. That's what I want. Maybe He's going to give me a new job. That's what I want. But when things don't work out the way you hoped they would, the word gets choked. It's got no deep root. And because it's got no deep root, when the hot weather comes, when the heat rises up, it simply withers and wilts away. And I'm going to say this. Listen, we need to be discerning because... We need to understand that tears, tears is not the number one evidence of repentance. Okay? Because you can come down to the altar and you can cry crocodile tears. And we may say, "Woo, man, look at that. Boy, God really changed his life. But then you go back out and you live like the devil. You understand? Emotions is not the deciding factor of if you have been changed by the word of God. It's not what you say. It is what you do that is the determining factor. And so it's not how you come down or go down. It's how you get back up. That shows us if you've really been changed. Then he says there's also this thorny ground. Matthew 13 and 22, the one that sown, the seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and becomes unfruitful. They received it but because they're worried about this, because they're going after wealth, because they're trying to chase down their wants, the word of God does not produce any fruit. Then you got the good soul, verse 23 says, and the one who has sown, the seed that's sown the good soul, this is the man who hears the word of God, understands it. Notice what happened in Nehemiah's chapter 8. They gathered together, they listened attentively, and what happened, they understood what was being said. They understood what was being said. And so, listen, if you remain ignorant of God's word, you will be impotent and I want to encourage you get in your Bible I understand we got it on the screens and that's good that's that's great 
But I believe it's important for us to open the word of God and see what is being said. Now, you, if you're like me, here's what I do. I got about 12 or 15 Bibles. I got one I keep right here. I got one in the classroom on Wednesday night. I keep it there. Got one in my office. I normally have one right there in case I'm sitting down listening to somebody else. But I want to open it up and say and 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 follow along. And, or you, and you don't even have to have this. You know, we got it so great now that you can have this. You can be on your phone and hope you're not texting somebody. Hope you're just following along, making notes, that kind of stuff. And the thing about it is the people in Nehemiah, they all gathered collectively as one body for one purpose and they listened attentively. And I'm going to tell you this, we are raising a generation that has the, um, has the, um, the attention span of a squirrel. We just can't keep our focus on anything for very long, right? Do you realize these people in Nehemiah's days, they were there for hours listening as Ezra read from the book of the law. So let's read on. So not only did they gather collectively, they knew it was important for everybody to gather. They listened attentively now, the next thing that we're going to see, verse 4, 5, and 6, let's read that. Ezra the scribe stood at the wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose. Okay, and I'll say some things there. Not this service, because this is going on Facebook, but I'll move that on to where it can't be looked up. I'll go ahead and say it. You know, nowadays, the pulpit has been removed by a stool and a little table. So it's kind of like a TED Talk. In other words, it's, it's almost like we're coming into a, uh, a, a psychiatrist's office. And he's sitting there by the table and he's kind of giving us some advice. This is what you need to do. But the reason why this is like it is, is because whoever stands behind here should know that it's not something to be taken lightly. And what is being said should be from God's word, okay? So the pulpit has been replaced by almost like a stage. And so we got to entertain people to keep them attentive. we got to bring out the lions, the tigers, the elephants, and the, and the ponies and all that kind of stuff so that people will keep their attention on what the word of God is saying. And so here we go. They stood at the wooden podium which they had made for the purpose. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he had opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So not only did they gather collectively, not only did they listen attentively, but the third thing is they responded rightfully or rightly. In other words, when the word of God was read, they stood up, 
because they recognized what was being read was just not some ordinary thing. It was their life. It was not a word from man, but it was the word of God. If you go back to James 1.19, we talked about it earlier. He says you must be slow to speak. Then he says what? And you must be slow to, slow, quick, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. So about the word of God there, okay? And so, in other words, when the word of God is preached, when it is read, you should be slow to speak against it because you don't like what it says. Did you know that you can be passionate about something and still be wrong? There's a lot of people that are passionate right now about things that go contrary to God's word. They're passionate about it. They'll die for it, but just because you're passionate does not mean you are in the right. You can be sincere, still be wrong. And so James says, don't argue with the word of God when you hear it. You may say, I'm not arguing with my mouth, but are you arguing with it in your heart, in your Mind. Now listen, I'm not talking about opinions here. There's some things I'll say, I'll say this. This is opinion you can take and throw in the trash if you want to, that's fine. But a lot of people when they hear the word of God, they go, hmm, I don't know about that. That doesn't line up with my experience. Well, your experience is junk if it doesn't line up with the word of God. Okay? So he says you should be slow to speak. Slow to get angry. Don't get mad at the preacher for preaching what's in the Word of God. You don't get mad at the mailman when he drops you off a big box of bills, do you? Hopefully you don't. I'm just the mailman delivering the mail. And maybe one day I'll get me a little mail truck and just pull up on a Sunday morning. Get me a little suit, a mail suit on and say, here's the mailman, here's what the Lord of the Lord says. And so he says, be Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And when you study the Word of God, when you hear the Word of God, the question should not be, what do I believe about this? Or do I agree with this? Does my experience line up with this? What am I going to say about this? But your question should be this. What am I going to do about this? See, they all gathered. They all listened they all responded. They lifted their hands in worship. You know, lifting your hands in worship is biblical. It is biblical. Do you realize saying amen, amen, as they did, it is biblical. I understand some people know, didn't know when to say amen because you're saying so let it be so to something that don't need to be so. But when you say amen, you're saying I agree with this. And so all the people, they lifted their hands in worship. They bowed their face in contrition. They wept. That's what the word of God will do for us. There's times in our life that it will correct us. It will show us what is wrong in our lives. And listen, I don't know about you, but I don't like being corrected at times. I don't like to being, being told I'm wrong and I need to change something. 
But that's what the Word of God will do. It will correct you if you will open your eyes to it and allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to you and illuminate for it for you. They all gathered collectively. They all listened attentively. They all responded rightfully. Let's read on for our next one, verses 9 through 12. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. You know, sometimes when you come to church, it's going to make you weep. It should make you weep. It should make you say, uh-oh. And then he said to them, verse 10, Go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Notice, they all gathered collectively. They all listened attentively. They all responded rightfully with weeping, with lifting of hands, with contrition. But the last thing is this, they all departed joyfully. They all departed joyfully because the same word of God that will pierce you will also heal you. How do we know that? Psalms 107 and 20 says this, He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. If you are listening to the word of God this morning or any time and the Holy Spirit convicts you of where you are and you say, listen, I'm doing that wrong. I need to straighten that out. You don't have to wait for the altar call, though you can. I'm just saying when the Holy Spirit convicts you, let that same word heal you. That word that says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to realize that our knowledge of our sin should never be bigger than our knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We need to know that God's forgiveness is always greater than our sin. And so the ultimate, the end goal of us gathering is not sorrow. Yes, there will be times of sorrow, times of weeping, times of, of, of being more of mourning over our sin. But the ultimate goal when we leave out of here is to have forgiveness, to be clean, and we walk out of here in the joy of the Lord. Now listen, you may not can rejoice in your circumstances. You may not can rejoice in your job and your family right now, but you can always rejoice in the Lord, in God, in His mercy, in His grace. And they all left joyfully. And I don't know if the good Lord just worked this out like this, but when they left, they went and ate. 
Thank you for walking in the Spirit and picking March 5th or 4th, whatever it is. But they all left out of the presence of the gathering joyfully. Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 15, 16. He says, your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name. Now, who writes this? We know Jeremiah. What is Jeremiah known as? He's known as the weeping prophet, right? God says you can't marry. God says, listen, what if God told you this as a preacher? Hey, I got you a message, but I ain't going to listen to what you're going to say. Go ahead. But you got to say it anyway. And that's what the word of God should do for us. It's like a two-edged sword that pierces on one side. And cuts and heals on the other side of our lives. Again, walls have been built, rebuilt. Gates have been hung, rehung. Everything that is needed to be done physically to help protect the city has been done. But the most important thing is the people inside the city. That's the most important thing. And so what did they do? They gathered corporately. They listened attentively. They responded rightfully. They left out of his presence joyfully. And when you leave here today, you should leave out joyfully, knowing that your sins have been forgiven. And if you're here today and there's no joy in your life, I would say this, what has been the source of your joy? Where you've been trying to find your joy? Because Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord, that's where you get your strength from. Oh, you may find some happiness in external things, but you can never find true lasting joy except in Jesus Christ. Come on, be playing. Gathered corporately, collectively, listened attentively, respond rightfully, departing joyfully. As you're standing all over this house this morning, we've got a few moments.